experience, bitch. Prepare to experience Beige, the podcast where two longtime friends discuss all sorts of science fiction and fantasy stuff. We got a lot to talk about. We're back from a one-week break. Um, while I was setting things up this morning, I found some fun little things to play around with that is that's going to annoy both Hugo and any listeners that we have. Hey, Hugo, did you know that we're in front of a live studio audience for today's episode? No, I did not. <laughs> oh, they're too kind. Oh, really? No, it's okay. You're too kind. Hopefully that actually came through. Uh, or else I'm going to sound like a real idiot. Anyway, I, I promise not to use those. I was just clicking around and I found all these little sound effects. But anyway, we don't have a live studio audience. We just have our single listener as usual, whoever that is. It's probably like a... It cycles through a bunch of people, but only one listens per week is my assumption. Um, it's some toddler actually pushing to download our, <laughs> our podcast on their parents' phone. <laughs> yes. All right, let's start with, I'm going to start with uh, a revisit to Board Game Corner, or whatever I called this last time. I mentioned that uh, I had purchased a bunch of new board games, and then over kind of the holiday break, I actually got to play a few. So quick discussion on that. So the ones that, and all of these I played with Hugo except for Azul, which he's played before, but my wife and I played that a few times yesterday. Very fun, pretty fast. It's like a good game, like a little appetizer game if you're playing like a full day of games that you know you need a little break or or maybe you're just playing a game in the evening and you don't have all evening to play a game you just want something kind of quick it's kind of like a p pattern game almost like a puzzle it's it you're it's it, it's interesting because you're you're kind of making your own pattern so in a way it's kind of multiplayer solitaire but you're kind of pulling from the same group of uh, tiles so you can kind of take something that your opponent was looking for and in fact uh, I won the first couple of games and my wife was getting kind of you know she's like oh I'm not good at this game and I was like you just you have to be kind of mean in this game you have mm -hmm. to look at what your opponent needs and for instance you might need you know maybe a couple of different patterns will work for your use you know it'll be fine for your turn well then the tiebreaker should be well what it, what will harm my opponent more if i take this then maybe they can't use the other thing and they have to put it down below where they lose points and so so then she won the third game because she took it to heart i guess and she was more <laughs> like more willing to to do that so well so. especially in two-player games of this nature the, the more euro type games you, you really do i mean there's zero sum games right like if, if you can stop your opponent from scoring that's almost the same as if you scored so you really need to be yeah cutthroat as 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 uh as hard as it seems to do that in games that are meant to be relaxing <laughs> like Azul. yeah yeah, yeah. So, so that, so I enjoyed that one. We played that a few times. It's the kind of game that you, you know, if you kind of lose the first couple of games, it's pretty quick. So you can play another. Let's play another one, and it's not that big of a deal because it's pretty quick. Uh, and that again, you can play more than two, but 
two player was pretty fun. Um, okay, then we kind of similar vein in the sense that it's a little bit more of a casual game, but a little bit longer of a game uh, is Parks and played that a couple of times and we played once with three people and then once with five people right yeah mm -hmm. um so, so it you know can kind of scale through that uh number of uh players but we did notice it gets a little trickier to, once there's more players involved because it, it's kind of hard to abstractly explain a board game if if it's nobody's looking at the the board or the pieces. But you're basically kind of going on a hike, but there's only so many places that you can place your uh, tokens because you have two kind of hiker tokens, and you can visit the same site as someone else, but it's a it's a limited action, so you have to use that carefully. So when there's more players, there's more hikers out on the trails, so it's makes it a little trickier to get what you need and what you're trying to build towards because you're kind of getting resources essentially and you use those resources to visit uh, national parks and that's how you get your points. But it was very, very fun. Again, kind of similar. You're doing your own thing, but your actions can kind of impact the other players because you might take something that they wanted to use and you kind of block them. But at the same time, it's not cutthroat either. You kind of, it kind of feels a little bit like the theme where you're kind of going on a stroll and you see all this beautiful artwork from the different national parks and you're all trying to win, but you're kind of doing your own thing. So even if you don't, beat the other players you kind of have your own satisfying little journey so i enjoyed it and actually now you say that you know there is a blocking mechanism you send your hikers and if they're in a spot um other players can't go there except if they use a, a special one-time campfire to like go there which seemed mm -hmm. odd to me when i read the rules but i guess um this game was designed before covid but in the age of covid i, I imagine it's like going to a, a popular site and being like oh there's too many people i'm gonna go to the, i can't go there i'm yeah. gonna go to the next site <laughs> Yeah, so, so it exactly. does fit now with that you can block people just by putting your hiker on a location. Yeah. And on to the next game that we played. So we or This is not in the order we played them, but this is just the order that I wrote them down. Unfathomable. So this was uh, very fun. This is kind of a reskinned um, Battlestar Galactica, which it, to our gaming group is a classic game. I, I'm assuming it's a classic for other board gamers. Um, so the original was based on the, t the reboot TV show, so it had those characters and it had mechanics that were true to that show. You know, there's Cylons, hit, you know, some you play as supposed humans, but some of you are going to be revealed to be Cylons. So there's kind of that bluffing element. And then the other Cylons, kind of the board game AI Cylons, are attacking your ship. And it's one of those games that you're you can lose multiple different ways and you're trying to just hang on and just barely beat the game or you or lose basically so this is kind of carries over a lot of those same aspects but now it's like a like um like a cthulhu um sort of you know it's fantasy flight they use those Arkham Horror is what they kind of call their world, um, but it's H.P. Lovecraft, basically. Um, and so it's kind of got that horror 
mystery kind of aspect to it, but instead of being on Battlestar Galactica, you're on the Atlantica, which is like a cruise ship, and you're kind of being besieged by these monsters from the sea, and you have to kind of keep moving your ship along, fight them off the 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 ship there's still that mechanic of oh someone's really working for the monsters who is it you got to try to figure it out um and the other uh, players are trying to work together to basically survive and uh i thought it was really fun if you at all like the battlestar galactica game uh, I ha- I've played that game many times, but I don't own it. So this is kind of the newer version. You know, like I said, it's has a different theme, but also kind of streamlined the rules a little bit um, in ways that I thought uh, were good. So I I enjoyed it. What did you think, Hugo? Yeah, I think I think I, I really like Battlestar Galactica. The show, I love the theme. I'm a sci-fi geek, so um, that's still my my preferred game to play if I had a choice between the two. But I will say that Unfathomable, um, like you said, streamlines it. And so if I was with a group of experienced gamers, I would play Battlestar with the expansions. But if I was trying to introduce more casual people to this type of game, I, I would go with Unfathomable. I think it was... It's, it, the other thing Unfathomable had was, by being streamlined, it's easier for everyone to grasp what everyone else is doing. Like in Battlestar, it was sometimes a little hard if you hadn't played it before, or just played it like once or twice everyone's roles were really distinctive and you couldn't always just gauge whether they were acting optimally or not to help the group, which mm-hmm. makes it, of course, harder to determine who the traitor is. And in Unfathomable, yeah. like, everything's a lot clearer and it's based in the 1920s, so it's also it's also more intuitive, you know, like, someone has, like, you know, people have, like, a med- medical kit or, like, you know, the, the, uh, or, or a pistol or stuff like that, so you kind of know what those things should be used for, be done for, even if you don't know the full rules um, from across the table. So I, I think it's it's definitely a better um, game for people who just want a more casual experience uh, in this genre of trader mechanic. Games. Yeah, I think that's fair. Yeah, and I and if you like one theme over the other, then that could you know yeah. lead to your decision. And I don't. I, I don't know. I guess is, ba- is the old Battlestar still available? That could be your other uh, thing. If it's hard to no, find, I guess you can find it. It's out of print, or... and it's actually going for hundreds of dollars. So it's okay. Cl- well, it's there's another <laughs> reason you might want Unfathomable <laughs> is uh, you can maybe get a hold of it. Uh, okay, and then the last one here I have is uh, Journeys in Middle Earth. Uh, so this was fun. I. I have to admit, I was a little disappointed with this one, only because I don't think I understood how much of a Mansions of Madness like kind of reskin it is. So I talked on this podcast previously about Mansions of Madness um, version two, and where it's app driven, and I and how much I really enjoyed it, and I thought it was a better experience just having that app. So this is another fantasy flight game that's app-driven. It's like, oh, well, and it's Middle Earth. But it is very similar to Mansions of Madness. It does do a couple things that are unique. It kind of has a deck builder element that Mansions of Madness doesn't, but it's very similar in that the app is telling you a story, you reveal different tiles, you're exploring. What you're really trying to find is essentially clues to what you're supposed to be doing next. That's This is all what Mansions of Madness does. There's kind of a built-in sort of timer where you can't just lollygag. You got to move along because monsters, or in this case, it's going to be like orcs and things are being spawned. So 
the game is moving you along, but you're just trying to explore the board as quickly as possible, try to figure out what the game kind of wants you to do in this scenario and do it as quickly as possible. So again, very fun, kind of similar to what we just said about Unfathomable. I guess it's kind of up to you which universe you like more. Do you want to have that kind of Arkham Horror, um, your uh, investigators exploring creepy mansions, or do you want to be in Middle Earth and you're, you know, Aragorn and Legolas and you're going, you're going on adventures? But as somebody who owns both, I don't. If I would have, kn- and this was my own fault, if I would have known more that it's essentially the same game or very similar games i don't know that you need to own both and now i own both so that's that's my own fault so that was my only uh disappointment there but that aside it was fun so if you like one you'll like the other and you know who doesn't love lord of the rings and that kind of setting so well and and the other difference besides the genre is the scale the the, the, the scale, I guess. You know, Mansions of Madness is like street level. You, you're controlling your explorers and going around the streets of Arkham uh, on a map that develops and evolves as the app tells you. Lord of the Rings um, changes scale. So we only played the first mission, Dave, which was a zoomed out scale. You know, you're out in the wilderness and it's kind of like a, a, an overland map. Like if you think of an RPG, you're, you're kind of zoomed way out in an overland area. And But but the what, what's neat about Journeys of Middle Earth is as, as a campaign progresses, um, some of the levels take place in zoomed-in maps. So you go from like being in the over overworld where like settlements or keeps are represented by little tokens to like actually going into buildings on special maps um, for that purpose or, or walking into a tavern and, and talking to people and having like a, a role and, and the, uh, having like a role-playing session. And that's the other big difference too, which I think besides the genre is Journeys is a campaign game, whereas Mansions is a one-shot game. So if you just kind of want to grab a random group of people and play a fun uh, app-driven dungeon crawl, Mansions is the way to go. But I think if you have the same group of people, I, I think Journeys, Journeys really starts getting pretty satisfying as, as you develop your character, um, start getting experience, and start seeing the narrative unfold. It, it is pretty neat when, when it switches um, the scale of the, of the encounters and all of a sudden you know, you're looking for someone and the overworld, you get clues, and then the next mission, it like zooms in and you're actually like you know, in, in, a, in, a, in a building or an area where that person is. Um, and you see the narrative sort of start to develop and evolve, and your and your actions, you know, you, you can lose a mission and keep going, and see what happens from that. So, I, I think that's another big thing to to distinguish the two is the campaign nature. Yeah, that's well said. The the campaign is a big difference. So if you are into those campaign style games, which are you know more popular nowadays, then you know the uh, Middle Earth game might be more suited to you. Whereas if you just want one shot games, maybe you're not playing all that often and i mean the good thing i guess in that sense the middle earth game takes advantage of the app in a way that the uh, mansions of madness doesn't because the app is going to save your choices and where you are and what you've been doing i haven't i've only played the one so i don't know if it recaps things or even if you need a recap but you know it helps you set up for your next game so that's a good use of the app whereas you don't the matches of madness doesn't do that so it doesn't need to do keep track of those things because as, as far as i know they're all one track one shot kind of uh adventures so uh anyway both worth playing so um anyway that's a uh, board game corner we the rest of the show we're going to be talking about the final episode of wheel of times um for the season the uh 
first episode of Bo- this is not necessarily in this order. The first episode of Book of Boba Fett and the last uh, episode of Hawkeye, maybe ever. Um, it's unclear. Loki got renewed, so who knows? Uh, so, what do you want to talk about first, Hugo? I'm leaning towards Wheel of Time. What do you say? Oh, you want to start with Wheel of Time? Let's go. All right, that's, let's go. That, okay. Yeah, that's 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 probably. I'll the let you take one. it away. Yeah, I, I figure the meatiest one, then we have t- plenty of time. Yeah, so Let's last episode it. I said um, Will of Time had really grown on me, and it was I felt like it was one of those shows where every episode and as the season goes on and on, it gets better and better and better, and I was really impressed by how the show kept getting stronger and stronger. And so after saying that, the show kind of made me eat my words, but not in a bad way. <laughs> <laughs> I was I was... I didn't think the finale was bad, so so it, it it wasn't quite like Star Trek Discovery, where like they or or, or Star mm. Trek Picard, which just totally undermined their entire seasons. Um, but it was it was it was disappointing in that it wasn't great. Does that make sense? Like mm. it wasn't a bad yeah. episode. If if this episode had been episode eight of ten of the season, <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, or or episode eight of sixteen, like this is the mid season, like you know finale, like then we're gonna cut to Christmas break, and then like when we come back in January on network TV, we're gonna start the second half of the season, like it would have been really, really good, but as as the finale to the first season, I mean, I guess I felt in episode seven, the one before, I was like, how are they gonna wrap this stuff up in a satisfying <laughs> way with one episode to go, and the yeah. answer was. They're not. <laughs> they're yeah. they're not going to wrap it up in a satisfying way. Um, there were some very cool things in this episode, and I, I really I liked like the, but but also I guess to go back to some of the stuff I said at the beginning of the series, man, this this, this author just the, the the book author Jordan, he really really ripped off Lord of the Rings. Like <laughs> this, this battle was basically the battle, of, uh, you know, the, the the battle at the end of the um, Return of the King. It was it oh. was the um, it was the uh, you know you had you you could remember at the end of Return of the King like you have the the Frodo and Sam yeah and, and going they're to going Mount to Mount Doom, Doom. that was uh, Moraine and 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 Rand like going to find the, the the ancient one and then you have the rest of the party in Gondor and 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 the orcs are attacking and it's a big siege and you had I mean it was down it was it was all like almost beat for beat the end of return of the king which was a little mm-hmm. which was which was which is cool cuz it's a cool finale <laughs> like it's exciting but it also like like the parts i like about wheel of time are the parts that are fresh and new like their take on the Aes Sedai and and their warders and things like that and and, and this finale was just like a a big recreation of um return of the king which was a little disappointing i that's the source material i don't i don't blame the showrunners for that yeah but what I do blame him for is Dave. Who was who was that guy that Rand was facing off with at the end? Do you know? Uh, I assume it was the dark one. It was not the, the dark one, Dave. Uh, okay, I didn't. I have no idea. <laughs> I had no <laughs> idea either. I thought it was the dark one, and then when when he got defeated, I was like, "Huh, that was very underwhelming." It is not the dark one, apparently. And again, this is I think going by book spoilers, so. Maybe the show's going to do this differently, but uh, that wouldn't make sense. Apparently, who he faced off with at the end was one of the... Um, so I guess the dark one has like a... The Nazgul, for lack of a better word. Oh, the, oh okay. He's a Nazgul. Okay. <laughs> the dark one has a group of followers who are like... You know, if the dark one is like a, an ancient uh, deity type 
figure, then these are like the demigods. Like they're and they're they're like the I don't know, I haven't read too deeply into the spoilers, but think of them like the seven deadly sins made manifest. So um, Well, I'm glad you went first because I was gonna call him the dark one. <laughs> so now I won't make that mistake. So uh, uh, yeah, and I so that was one of my biggest disappointments was that that was not at all made clear. And it was also just so like anticlimactic how how this being which i forget their names now got defeated um you know he well, just, they even st- rand even says oh it was the who who are you dreaming about it was the dark one so he he doesn't even know man i guess none of the characters know because moraine uh, well she says oh i guess that wasn't the last battle but she seems to think it's the dark one so i guess nobody knows like who who it is, in, and and in, again, maybe the show the is going to make that be the dark one and just loop them all in. But um, from what I read about the books, that's in the books. It turns out like that you know basically it's a level boss and not the big bad boss. Okay. <laughs> yeah, you, well, you that did. actually kind of makes it, it. That actually makes the ending a little better in my mind. I mean, I they should have explained that if that's what it is, but. The the reason the ending is kind of anticlimactic is you know it's not the end of the show, you know you're like oh we're let's defeat the dark one oh we got him oh <laughs> I, oh I don't know maybe that isn't the the truly the last battle it's like of course it's not this is like a fourteen book series <laughs> of course you didn't just defeat the dark one so if it wasn't even the dark one at all and it was like one of his lieutenants or something then it makes it but I think it would have worked better if they made that clear so it was ishmael ishmael who is Uh one of the forsaken that's right that's her name the forsaken so yes Uh, okay so they defeated one of the forsaken they did not defeat the dark one um and if the episode had made that clear i think i would have liked it a lot more but the fact that i was left scratching my head and being like oh that seemed really easy and anticlimactic well that's (laughs) because it was meant to be like that's why also Remember, Moraine's like, this wasn't the final battle. This was the first battle. And I was like, what does that mean? He beat the Dark One. Why? I don't understand. Where do you go from here? <laughs> so I guess in, like in next season, there's going to be like a scene or a moment where the Dark One manifests itself again. And everybody's going to be, I thought we defeated the Dark One. And like, no, that was one of the, what did you call them? The Forsaken. Uh, the for, that was a forsaken. So this is this actually gets to well. Let me comment on one of what you said about it being kind of the end of Return of the King, which I hadn't really thought about. And this is more when I assume this was actually the Dark One. Um, oddly enough, it's unsatisfying as the ending of the first season of presumably a very long streaming series. It almost works better as if this was like a standalone miniseries. Like, again, it would be kind of like, well, that was kind of easy uh, sort of thing. But it feels like the show wants you to believe that this that they defeated the Dark One or, you know, that's who I assumed it was at the time. It, much in the same way at the end of Lord of the Rings, they uh, defeat Sauron. So it in that way, it, you know, maybe it wouldn't have been the best ending ever, but it would it would have felt like that's what what the show was trying to tell you. Like this yeah. is oh, we, that's the end of this miniseries. We saw the hero's journey, and it and the hero triumphs at the end. But when you know it's season one of eight or however many they're going to make, you're like, well, we know this isn't the end, but the show seems to want us to believe it's kind of the end, and. It kind of gets to the heart of why I ultimately 
when I finished this episode, what made me left wanting was it didn't really get me excited about the next season. So I know that this isn't the end of the show. What we get is like this teaser of like these ships come and they set up like a tidal wave against this. They hate this girl on the beach. This and, little like, poor and, little girl. <laughs> they use like all this magic to kill that one little girl with a tidal. <laughs> and they're like, I don't know anything what's happening. I don't know who they they are. I mean, I'm guessing that's supposed to be like, aren't you interested in finding out who all these people on this ship are and why they're doing this? And I guess that's kind of interesting. But we just saw the defeat of who we think is the dark one. Who I think I guess the characters are supposed to think is the dark one but we know it's not the end of the show so you're waiting for like the dark one to like you know pull a jason where like the arm comes out of the grave or the 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 lake or something you're like oh he's not really they didn't really vanquish him um and it doesn't do anything like that to set up the next season or really get you excited about any of the characters and what the, what they're going to be up to next. It feels very much like the end of something, and we know it's not the end of something. It's like, well, then tell us what next season is going to be and like why should we care and what are the characters going to be up to. So it was un- unsatisfying in that way as well to me. Yeah, and I can't figure out if it was an oversight on their part to like not make it clear that this was like step one or or if it was deliberate, like you said, to try to get us to think like the characters that it was the dark one. But but in either case, I think the results are the same. And I think you hit the nail on the head why it felt so unsatisfying is I, I if it did feel like the end to a miniseries. And and it was like, I don't I don't know where the show goes from here. Like and, and if it wasn't for Moraine saying this is the first battle, mm-hmm. I I would have almost thought it was deliberate on their part. But then she says that and it's like, well how does she know that unless she knows this isn't the dark one? And I, I think she even mm-hmm. makes a reference to how like the Dark One won whether from this battle, whether whether like Rand was defeated or victorious, and and mm. this is one of the steps, I guess, to the Dark One's resurrection or something. So it was, it was just very unclear, and and also I thought very unfortunate because I actually thought this was a really cool take on a Dark One for a fantasy series. Uh-huh. Um, I thought Ishmael was um, the way he was played, you know, was was kind of like a. Like you see this sometimes in in, in in TV shows, modern TV shows, with, where like there's a sat- like literal Satan character, and instead of being like some fiery demon who's violent, it's like some slick, smooth, like smooth talking, charismatic guy who like tempts you with like, you know, with 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 his, with his charm and his offers instead of like through threats of force. And I really liked how the actor played um, played this this forsaken character uh, and and just just tempting Rand. Like there were there were no threats. It wasn't a big like. A uh, battle of like swords or might or or even magic. It was it was a battle really of of, of the soul and and so I thought mm. that part worked really well. And if it had been presented <laughs> as step one of mm-hmm. the path to defeat the dark one, it would have been so cool. It would have been like like in a video game, you'd be like, wow, that was a really cool boss. Like I had to really think through that encounter and figure out how to defeat it. Um, yeah. But instead, here it was it was like, wait, that was the final battle, and then it's like, no, it wasn't. And you're like, well, yeah. what comes next? And like you said, the show doesn't tell you what comes next. And then it detours. <laughs> that was the weirdest like teaser at the end that I've seen in a show like this. Like, It shows us these people we've never seen. And then it says, I think it even said on the west coast of the land. Yeah, and I, like, yeah, I, don't that's know, right. I don't know yeah. any geography. You haven't shown <laughs> us the geography. There's a far show. western shore. I wrote it down. <laughs> it's like, okay, what? thanks for that. <laughs> what? 
should I care about the far western shore? <laughs> and then, like you said, and then the, and then it was like so over the top where they cast. There's this little girl on the beach, and these ships. They looked kind of cool, the people on them, and kind of menacing. But then we know magic has a cost in this in this in this realm, and they spend all this energy to just cast a tidal wave and kill this poor little girl. And it was I, I actually laughed. I was like, that is so over the top. Like, could you not have shown a, a town being wiped out or or something worthwhile? Like, it was just yeah. I, I thought I, it was going to zoom back, and there's going to be like a town beyond the beach or something but it didn't show you anything no so you're left to believe it's just taking out this little girl when you can assume maybe there's something else something else was their target but we don't see that and and so i guess it was for book readers but then i felt like the show left nothing for show watchers to sort of yeah it definitely felt very much like oh book readers you know who these people are right hey they're coming (laughs) next season like i don't know who that is (laughs) so yeah so and as a show watcher i was left not knowing what comes next and then i I read up a little bit and i was like okay because i also wondered where the show i mean the series seemed to be building towards the dark one at at the end of the season one and i guess Mm -hmm. now i understand like probably each season is going to be one of the forsaken you gotta defeat all of the nazgul first and then take on sauron because Jordan read Lord of the Rings was like, what if I rewrote Lord of the Rings, but instead of ending it after three books, I kept going with the Nazgul in each book. It just kept going and going and, and going, going and going <laughs> until I died and someone had to pick it up and actually finish it off. Well, it's kind of this is getting at one of my first, and I I I still enjoy the show. I thought I thought overall as a season it was very. I enjoyed it more than I thought I would, and it's just. I felt I felt odd at the end of the at the end of the finale for reasons that we're stating where it just didn't feel totally satisfying because it feels like it's the end but we know it's not the end but another thing that so much in the same way where if this isn't the dark one but the show's not telling you like it's not telling the characters or the audience which it does a lot it doesn't tell characters things. Like, Moraine seems to know, like, oh, this wasn't the last battle. But the show doesn't really tell you anything about mm-hmm. the last battle, which would be, which maybe would be okay at, from, from the audience perspective. Is like, oh, we'll get to that. But shouldn't Rand and all the people that you need to help you, shouldn't they know what the last battle is? Shouldn't you tell them some of the history of what's going on and where we're going? You know, they pull out the horn and like, oh, what's that? It's the such and such horn. It's to be used on the last battle. Like, we won't tell you anymore. We won't fill you in, like, even though you're an, a seemingly an important character. Like, they don't. there's just so many, like, secrets kept from both the characters and the audience. In fact, the the silliest one to me is when Rand and Moraine are walking through the blight towards the dark one. And he, he says, what's your plan? And she has to tell him like, were you not going to tell him if he didn't ask? Like he, he has to literally ask her, what are we doing? When I get there, what what do you want me to do? And only then does she tell him, "Oh, I have this little knickknack, and you're gonna pour your magic into it, and that's gonna like multiply your magic, and that's gonna take out the dark one." It's like, oh, thank you. Uh, that's useful information that we probably should have known before we left on our journey. Like, it's just that that stuff happens all the time, and I don't understand why the show does that. It makes me frustrated as an audience member, and then also I frustrated for the characters because by now 
I, it made sense before where Moraine was like, oh, I don't know if I can trust them. Maybe they're not the Dragon Reborn, or I don't know which one is. But then the show is setting up. All five characters are important. I feel like this is maybe a departure from the books, but I don't know, not having read the books. It feels like this is how they're kind of spreading out the like it's not just the chosen one of dragon reborn i know the other characters are you know you know may play important roles in the books but now it's like oh all five of you are uh, this doesn't normally happen but all five of you are important usually it's you know that doesn't work that way and so i feel like it's kind of setting that kind of aspect of it but if they are all important then that's even more reason why you should tell (laughs) fill them in what's going on but by the time you get to this point where you're literally trying to defeat the dark one and you can't do it without the dragon reborn who you know is this person now why aren't you telling him everything like this is Mm -hmm. all you need to know when this when stuff goes like could could maybe you know like this he's gonna try to tempt you do you have history of who the previous dragon reborn is because that might be helpful to him why don't we tell you who that because now he's gonna he's referring to him by the previous name and like maybe that would be useful to know like as the character there's just it just doesn't make sense it's frustrating like help this guy out he's trying to save the world come on well even the opening of the even the opening of the episode speaking of the show being so coy it was really cool at first where it opens and it's it's 3000 years in the past where the where the dragon yeah. is we see the previous dragon and he's ta- arguing with the Aes Sedai lady and and there's a baby and and yeah. you're like oh this is and you see like it's like a futuristic utopia and it's like whoa yeah. this is cool and they argue and literally Dave zero information to me was revealed <laughs> about what the dragon reborn is what his plan was what, it was just like it was it was like it was a weird scene because there was so much potential for them to, like, literally exposition, like, drop exposition on us in a cool way. And and I came out of that scene not knowing anything except, oh, I guess 3,000 years ago they had, to, like, future technology. And, like... Yeah. And they had <laughs> a was, fight over whether they were going to help the Dragon Reborn. That was kind of like... Yeah, instead of this, is, like you said, it's a per- why are we going back in time if you're not going to drop more exposition on us? It's just like so they can, so you can see the I said I didn't help the previous Dragon Reborn in his like confrontation with the Dark One. That was like kind of what the and, scene was about. And, yeah, the show just doesn't want to give us stuff, which is really, which is really a weird choice, right? Like it makes sense for some shows, like you know, if you're lost, the show lost. Okay, that's the whole point of the show, but like. This is a show that's literally adapted from a book, from a book series that's decades old. Like you do yeah. not need to be coy with giving information to the audience because they will find it. Like we will go and read online if we really want it. And like, I, I it, it's been it's, it's I think it's my main critique of the show is that it, it it's it's coy with information to viewers and coy and and, and it, it's coy with the information to its characters in ways that really don't make sense. Except it wants to hold its secrets close. But all its yeah. secrets are out there for anyone who wants to read book spoilers. <laughs> so yeah. Why, yeah. Why not just Why not just reveal this stuff and hook people into your world and into what's going on since it's already out there? The show is not a mystery driven show, so just just yeah. world build like instead of like keeping everything um, concealed. Anyways. Yeah. No, I I agree. It's because it's it made sense up to a point because these are like. Even though the five characters know each other, Moraine doesn't know them. They're kind of like from a small town. So who can we trust? The dark one, the dark friends are out there. We, you know, you got to be careful. But at, by a certain point, you're like, okay, whether we, 
want to or not, we need to trust some people here and we got to lay our cards out on the table and like, cause that's otherwise we're not going to be able to succeed in, in the end game. So anyway, kind of a frustrating thing. So, you know, I have a, the, the other part and I'm kind of harping on like kind of disappointment heading into next season, I guess, which kind of suggests that I didn't enjoy the show, which I, but I did. I'm just kind of like, what, how am I supposed to feel for the next season? So when they kind of had that, uh, oh, it was uh, uh, Pat and Fane, the kind of peddler guy, yeah. who's like a dark friend. He he's the one who says, "Oh, all five of you are important." I almost kind of like it's like, uh, do they have to be though? Because I was kind of like, I don't know if I like all five of these characters. Like, do I really want all five of them to be like central characters? And maybe they are in the book, so it's kind of like it is what it is. But I'm like, Matt is not even in the like last episode, except at the very end where he's like looking all mysterious, and he and his, the actor was replaced apparently. Um, and then you have Rand, who's like, okay, you ne- kind of need that character. He's kind of choice chosen one, whatever. But like. The Perrin didn't do much of anything in this episode. Um, and I, I think the show kind of recognizes this when at some point in a previous episode, someone says, oh, who is Rand or something, you know, or who's Perrin? I forget who they're asking about. And it's like, oh, it's the tall brooding one. And then the other character says, they're both tall and brooding. And like, yeah, that's a problem. <laughs> <laughs> that's not a good thing, you know? So I'm mm-hmm. like... And then you have the, I, I just don't know how interesting, and they're interesting in their kind of archetype where they're kind of from a small town and they're all different kind of classes, you know, mages and chosen ones and werewolf guy and thief. And, you know, the archetypes are kind of interesting, but as characters, I don't know that I really want need to see all of them moving forward. I think, I guess in other words, some of the more interesting characters were not those characters. I thought the Aes Sedai were more interesting. I thought Lan was more interesting. Just the kind of the inter, the Tamlin seat, all the interest interconnections of all the Aes Sedai kind of how that all works. The um, what are the, what do they call them? The White Cloaks or whatever. Now mm-hmm. I'm making things up and hoping that the that's what they're called. <laughs> um, that guy, I don't have have his name written down anymore because he wasn't in this episode. But that guy, like, was interesting. I, I don't know. It's like, they're kind of like, the instead of four hobbits, there's five. But even when in the, like, the hobbit, you have the, or in Lord of the Rings, I guess we're, you know, keep coming back to that. But you have, like, Sam and Frodo are kind of on their own journey. But then you have Gollum. And then you have uh, Faramir, and then you have all these other interesting characters that are pulling them along on their journey. And then the other hobbits kind of separate, and then then there's like Treebeard, and the, you know they're kind of defined by who they interact with because they're kind of like the every people. They're kind of you know the hobbits are kind of like us in our cozy living room reading the book. You know they're kind of taken away on an adventure, but they're not heroes in the traditional sense. And so it can work, but I feel like this show is making them more than that. If they're like not, they're all, like I said in the previous episode, they're the most powerful mage that's currently existing. And the, you know, the chosen one, Dragon Reborn only happens every 3,000 years. And 
I don't know. I, do you, are you excited about seeing all these characters moving forward? I, that's, I guess, my ultimate question because I don't know that I am. <laughs> I would rather yeah. hear, hear more about the, uh, the Aes Sedai and other things like that, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah, I, 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 do, I do agree when you put it that way, that it's a, it's a big problem for this show when I think about it. My favorite characters are the Aes Sedai characters and the Warders. Like, I, I find the Warders and the Aes Sedai characters that have been shown, like, in that one episode where it was, like, just focused on the on their relationship between the Aes Sedai and the Warders, I found those characters, like, on both uh, both, both the, 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 the Aes Sedai and the Warder, their Warders, to be far more compelling than any of our main <laughs> cast, which, which is, and that was a one-shot, you know, like, a lot of those were just in for, like, one or two episodes, and they were far more compelling characters than our main cast, so... Um, yeah. And then in this last episode, you know, they kill off the the Oigrin, who we never really learned much about. Oh, I was, I yeah. Do we need to kill that? I like that guy. Like he he, I liked as being mysterious because he's kind of like slow. He's not human. Like I buy that he's not going to tell you his whole backstory the first time you meet him. And now he's dead. Like I, I thought yeah. he was interesting. Like oh, builder. They all kind of like uh, were kind to him. And I like, what's that about? What does a builder mean? So anyway, sorry to interrupt. And then they killed the, they killed the, the stewards of Gondor. I forget what the kingdom was called. But the, <laughs> they killed the, the king and the queen in this episode. And they were, they were yeah. all kind of cool. Like, Oh, like what, what is, what is it like to be like, you know, the guardians of the last outpost of like, uh, that stands against the blight. Mm, doesn't matter. They're dead. Like it's just, it was just, it's just weird how this show, like <laughs> you're right. Yeah. Lord of the Rings, we, we see different cultures, you know, the elves, the dwarves, the, the 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 humans the, the the hobbits and like they're all a little bit interesting and here it's like hmm okay well <laughs> <laughs> yeah and i mean and i don't want to pile on like the the actors I, I don't think they're bad i just don't know that they have a ton of chemistry the five that are supposed to be all best friends or to some degree, you know, like close friends that grew up together. They're all like the same age in the small town. So like that means something. Um, but you know, it's kind of like where the wisdom, like her whole reason for being is apparently to bring the four other ones back home and keep them mm-hmm. safe and bring them back to their small town. And every time she says something like that, I'm like, I don't, well, first of all, I don't buy it. And I'm like, why? You don't like I I get that that's your mission and you've given that to yourself like you're kind of the one you feel like you're in charge of them and that's like your job almost but I think we're supposed to take that to mean like cuz these are my best friends and we love each other and I need to protect them and I just don't buy the chemistry from these actors I never really get that these are people that grew up together and they know everything about each other and they always have their backs and they're willing to sacrifice themselves for one another. It's they don't feel like that. They feel like strangers on a journey together. And, and you know the wisdom thing. They keep saying it, and I, yeah, I agree with you. I don't buy it. I think it would have made more sense if she was like middle aged, and had more like a of, a of a motherly affection towards these characters. Like, oh, I helped raise you all. I saw you all grow up. You know, I've got to keep you safe. But she's in the show. It seems it seems to indicate she's only a few years older. And she, yeah. and so like, that's what makes it kind of weird. It's it's like, she's pretty much close in age to them, but she feels like this such a strong affection that she's going to travel across the whole land, and and risk everything. And 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 the question then is, well, what about the other townspeople you left behind? <laughs> like you're the wisdom <laughs> yeah. of this town. Like what Don't about them? And it never <laughs> yeah. addresses that. Anyways, yeah. what would you rate the season, Dave? Oh, the whole season. Um. I feel like I, I always go two Bs for things because I liked it. Uh, 
uh, I, see, part of it is I liked it more than I expected to. It's kind of Witcher, like Witcher for me, mm-hmm. where I like went into it, it's like, well, I want to watch it because it's a new fantasy series. I want, and I love fantasy. I want to see what it's about, but you know, maybe it's not going to be so great. Um, you know, I don't know what reviews were like, but I felt like it wasn't like universal acclaim or anything like that. So it's like, oh, I don't know how I'm going to like this. And I liked it more than I expected, you know, not to sound like a broken record, but I really enjoy, even though I don't like how withholding the show is, I do like not knowing anything about the universe. So that's kind of fun, even though it does borrow from other things. So if I'm just rating like overall enjoyment, then I would I would just give it two Bs because I just felt like I enjoyed each time I watched it, and but I got to put some Bs in there for not feeling totally satisfied by the end of the the run so far. Yeah, I was gonna give it two Bs until this last episode, and I think now the season is three Bs for me. So three so beige? okay. So a regular rating system is seven out of ten, like um, decent, good. But could have been better. Um, I'll watch the next season. You know, I liked it. Um, I, I think, like you too, part a huge part of my enjoyment was how unexpectedly enjoyable it was. So that helps. But yeah, yeah, and you're, if three is probably more, is probably more accurate, or maybe two and a half piece. Uh, uh, do you want to just knock out Hawkeye? Yeah, I think I don't think there's much to say. There's a few pointers, <laughs> and then <laughs> yeah, I, well, and it's been a while. I saw this one. A, like a couple weeks ago now so <laughs> it's not as fresh um okay take it away i'll let you go first um decent finale i was wondering how they were also going to wrap this up in, in six episodes they did they had to rush things uh nonetheless it worked okay it's a comic book series so my expectations are you know different than for like more serious shows um and this show too kind of had a you know kind of would wink at you at times and kind of was self-aware of what it was doing I, I did feel like some stuff, and this has been true of all the Marvel Disney Plus shows, some stuff, it, it's weird how they introduce stuff that seems like it's going to be a big factor, and then it just gets rushed or dropped. Mm. Um, like, the, 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 the stuff with Jack and, and the mom was, was just, like, really kind of dropped last episode, and then Jack comes back and he has this cool, funny moment, but, like... And it was funny that he was like all of a sudden this great swordsman helping the heroes, but it did not fit at all with the way he had been presented throughout the season. Yeah. Uh, the mom turns he's out like to be- his whole role was to be a red herring, basically. Yes, you know, right. like his whole that's like that's why he's in the show. And then when you don't need him to be a red herring anymore, it's like, oh no, this is who he really is. It's like I guess. So anyway, sorry. To exactly, and it's like um, okay. <laughs> and then the mom turns out to be like this master villain, and it's like, and again it it just kind of rushed that development and I didn't really buy it like the way they developed it because she both was like capable of murder and yet also wanted out of the life. And it was like, well, which, which is it? Like, is she like this? It was just really weird and strange how they presented her in this, in this finale. Um, The biggest problem with the finale was, was, was also one of the coolest things was Kingpin. It was Mm -hmm. cool to see Kingpin Vincent D'Onofrio back. I really loved his portrayal in in daredevil on netflix that was a great show one of the best marvel shows i think probably the best marvel show actually um and they bring him back and then they don't it's like we literally have entire seasons written already with this actor in this role doing amazing work and they just don't know how to use them they have him the scenes with him are he's like in some sort of rundown office space like this is the kingpin like and he's just like hanging out in some like rundown office space for all his meetings 
And then, like, at the end, he shows up himself to fight um, instead of having, like, his goons. And, and like, the fight with Kate was cool. That wasn't the problem. The problem was just, like, how underutilized he was. Like, he doesn't do anything really Kingpin-esque. He, yeah. he gets, you know, there's a draw between him and Kate. And then we see him, I mean, he's not dead, but we see him seemingly get shot in the head uh, at the yeah. end. And that's it. And it's like, you all brought back Kingpin for for this? Like, I guess if you've seen Daredevil, it's, I don't know. I, I Actually, if you've seen Daredevil, it's both more and less disappointing. It's less disappointing in that you've seen the development of this character, which may or may not be canon now, by the way, but, but at least you've seen a lot of stuff from this character, so it doesn't feel as bad to have him introduced and then presumably killed. But it also feels worse because you also know the potential of how cool and menacing this character can be. I mean, he had some... I mean, he was—he stole every scene he was in in Daredevil. Like, there are scenes in that show with Kingpin that I still remember and can quote. And I normally, you know, like can't store that information oh, yeah. from shows I watch. Like, and here it was just like it was just so underwhelming. I, I and and then and what makes it even weirder is speaking of things they don't develop fully or, or seem to drop. It seemed like what was what was um, Echo's friend boyfriend? Oh, Kazi. Kazi. It yeah. seemed like Kazi was supposed to be the main villain. Like, mm-hmm. that would have been the twist that made sense, was like, he had pulled all the strings, he had set everything up, he mm-hmm. he was letting Echo think she was in charge, but really he had killed her, you know, been responsible. But like, that, I guess that resolution to Kazi's arc and, and, and Echo and Kingpin's arc, I know there's going to be an Echo show, so yeah. I'm sure they're setting stuff up for that. And maybe that's the problem. Maybe that's the answer. Maybe the show was just too focused on setting up Echo series in ways that, again, kind of like Wheel of Time's ending where they show those people on the ships at the end. You're like, this doesn't really make any sense for this story or get me excited for more Hawkeye. Like, I don't know why this yeah. is happening. <laughs> <laughs> um, so other than the Kingpin stuff, I thought it was a fine finale. It was, it was, the, the series was fun. It, it wasn't great, but it was fun and enjoyable. And I, I enjoyed it. And, and the, the finale was 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 on that same level. I just had some. I, I guess I just really wish Kingpin had been better utilized or saved for something else. Yeah, I agree. It's kind. Of, it was kind of felt along the same. Uh, it felt like an ending to this show. It didn't feel out of place. I, I'm talking about the finale altogether. You know, kind of builds up. You know, it, you kind of get a feeling it's gonna. It's building up to some sort of battle at the holiday party because they had mentioned that in previous episodes. And, you know, it kind of delivers on your expectations. It doesn't really do anything too surprising, but at the same time, it's it gives you what you're kind of expecting. You know, and a lot, a lot of people, I think, are down on MCU shows and movies in the sense that, like, oh, it's just always there's always this climactic CGI battle at the end. So there is still like a fight between the heroes and the villains, but there's, it's not really CGI heavy other than the uh, trick arrows, which, Mm -hmm. you know, make a comeback, but there's no like, you know, CGI huge villain. It's just kind of more street level. So it keeps to that. Um, So you have kind of an unending swarm of faceless, uh, uh, you know, tracksuit bros coming through and so they can just take them out over and over again you know it's kind of like 
any sort of generic like foot soldiers uh you know there's always enough that you your heroes can look good and just keep taking them out so i think it culminated in the way the show seemed to be culminating you know fun interactions between the different characters um satisfying action sequences you have of you know yelena you know so it kind of wraps those things up without putting a bow on everything i think it does yeah i've Set, you know, lean into setting up Echo's show a little too much. Um, but it does have her climactic battle with uh, Kazi, and then he seems to be dead. So that's kind of a resolution there. But I agree with you. Uh, Kingpin is definitely not dead. I, I agree with the Kingpin stuff. You know, When you tease him and tease him and tease him, and then you give him... It's almost like you got to do one, one or the other. Either you're... You reveal him, and he's the one pulling the strings, but he's not on screen as much as he is here, where it's just kind of, he's the kingpin. I have other people to do these things for me, and it's really setting him up for Echo or other things. But he's almost like his own thug in this episode. He's like mm-hmm. in it a lot, and most of what he's doing is fighting. But he's not fighting like... He doesn't even seem to want to win the fight. He just keeps pushing her aside. It's only like yeah. a draw because he's not even trying to win. And you're kind of like, why doesn't he just crush her skull or whatever? It's really weird. And then he gets shot in the face. It's like this is an underwhelming use of Kingpin that you've been setting up this entire show. So. You're right. The choreography of the fight was strange. He kept tossing her aside and then ignoring her. And it's like, this dude could killer like and and yeah. maybe again if he had been developed like oh he has a soft spot for like daughters or something um yeah. he did you know he, he, or that was his agreement with the mom was to spare her but like we don't know anything about this kingpin like except that like he's supposed to be really menacing and evil but he won't kill this woman who just shot him in the chest with an arrow <laughs> like yeah okay yeah you know what else was weird about the show okay. speaking of undeveloped no. the watch what was up with oh. that watch uh, yeah, I, I was. I I don't understand anything about that watch. They it's a MacGuffin. It it was in the Avengers Tower when it collapsed for yeah. some reason. I don't know why Laura Barton left it there um, <laughs> when she had never even been to Avengers Tower. Because if you go back to Age of Ultron, uh, they were her, Clint's family was like at a secret location, a secret farm that even the other Avengers didn't know he had a family. So, um, but then the other thing is like. They break into the auction, remember? The Traxu Mafia looking for that watch. Yeah. And, and the watch just has her shield logo. Yeah. I mean, it's just, there's... Yeah. <laughs> I think it's, then, you know... Oh, go ahead. <laughs> oh, no, let's go ahead. I, just, I was just very confused uh, and by what the point of the watch was. I think, yeah, I, I don't know why they set it up to be a thing in the first episode. Because you're thinking, oh, this is going to have like Tony's access codes to some sort of like treasure trove of technology or something like that. And by the end, it's just kind of like an Easter egg. Like, oh, his wife used to be like a shield agent, is, a, is I guess what it's telling us. And like, that's how, why she's kind of knows how to help him when, she, when she's on the phone. You know, she doesn't seem like any of this is. Uh, overwhelming to her because she was a shield agent. That's what I get from it. Why that's important to like the rest of the show and why they were after the watch at the beginning doesn't make any sense. And then Echo has the watch and you're thinking, oh, it must be related to her father's death or something, but they never connect the two. And like, yeah, yeah they don't explain at all why this watch is anything other than like an Easter egg at the end of the 
in the series. It would have worked better if they had been after the mafia had been after and Echo had been after the Ronin gear. If they were like, go yeah. steal the Ronin gear and the watch happened to be with it. And then at the end, like it's kind of a throwaway line. Like Clint's like, oh, hey, honey, I found something you lost, you dropped. And he tosses yeah. it to her and you're like, oh, she was Mockingbird. That's, that's who she's supposed to be. That's what the watch is supposed to signify. She was Mockingbird from the comics. And it's like, then it makes sense as a throwaway thing, but to make it the MacGuffin, when you literally have a better MacGuffin, the Ronin gear, like, which is yeah. what drives the villain's motivations, it was really yeah. strange. I just I did not get the choices they made there. <laughs> All right. Uh, what's your beige on this one for the whole series? This is going to seem harsh, and I don't mean it to be. It was four beige. Um, four beige? So on a regular rating, six out of ten. I, I, and again, that seems harsh. It's not meant to be. It was a, a, a fun show. I enjoyed it. Uh, I just can't really imagine going back and watching it. You know, like there's there's episodes yeah. of Wheel of Time I would go back and watch, but Hawkeye it was enjoyable. I, I you know if it was on in the background, someone else put it on, I you know I I wouldn't like walk away or anything. But um, it was just a, it was a fun show. It was exactly it was what I thought it would be, what I wanted it to be. So again, this is this is not meant to be harsh. It's just it was slightly above average, and and that's all I was expecting. So yeah. I guess I'm an easier grader. I'll give it three beach for. I agree with things you said. Like, yeah, I, I I would probably never watch this again. But I don't really rewatch things anyway. So even the thing, the MCU shows that I uh, liked more, I doubt that I'd ever rewatch. Um, but I agree with the sentiment. Like, this is just was entertaining. It kind of did its job. It was. Yeah. I I what I guess maybe I'm giving it less beige. Uh, as I or what's give, made me enjoy it more is I really liked Kate, and I really mm, liked Elena. Mm. So yeah. I really like them establishing who I'm hoping will be new MCU characters that are going to be in the movies or future shows or kind of like you know in the way that Captain America and Iron Man were kind of like the touchstone. MCU characters, maybe these will be some of those characters moving forward. And if so, I think the actresses and the characters are really fun to spend time with. I think they have a chemistry, and I want to see more of that. So, and it kind of gives a send off to the original Hawkeye. And I don't know that I needed that, but it's, you know, it was entertaining and, you know, based on uh, a well liked uh, book series. So I think that's what Marvel should be doing for these. TV shows like what are some like limited run series or mm -hmm. st storylines that you know really worked well or people like and let's put them let's do a TV show of it so yeah. uh, so I'll give it three and then now let's go to Book of Boba Fett uh, chapter one so first episode uh, I'll let you go theme of the day is um, <laughs> we're going back to our roots Dave I feel like I'm nitpicking everything um, that, that was kind of where our show started was nitpicking Star Trek Discovery and and uh, now I, I feel like I'm going back to our roots here. I, I really enjoyed the first episode of Book of Boba Fett. Um, so instead of saying what I thought was great, I, I guess what I thought was great was that it was very much like the Mandalorian. It was very it Mandalorian was vibes. Very like Mandalorian the music, vibes. The um, feel the tone of it. Yeah. Yeah, which and that's a great show. Um, I really liked the direction and some of the shots were really well done and then it turned out to be Robert Rodriguez who had uh, directed it so I was like oh okay like you, you got a movie director yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like the storytelling the way like you know whereas like Wheel of Time like hides everything this show right away tells you like how did Boba Fett live it's like here you go yeah. like this is yeah, how he yeah. lived this is how he got to this point so and, and he's a cool character uh, Tamura Morrison is great in the role I mean he is so like 
it's, he's just a, such a cool actor and it's a, it's a cool role like i i like boba fett more when i know it's uh tamar morrison like doing stuff <laughs> than yeah. i ever did in the movies um yeah. well can i uh, just to interject for a second it, because it's true i mean this is what the show should be doing right it should be making you like boba fett more or be more mm-hmm. interested in him and i think it does that really well because Boba Fett is infamous for being this character that everybody loved from the original trilogy and who has like basically no screen time and has like one line or something and then gets unceremoniously what we think killed in the Sarlacc pit like he's not that when you look at it that way he's not that cool of a character but he looks really cool he has that that Mandalorian armor when that was like a thing that wasn't explored in Star mm-hmm. Wars so i never really cared for him that much other than a cool looking character but i mean although i grew up with star wars i didn't grow up with it in ways that i think other people did where they just you know read the books or just really got sucked into the world so i'm kind of maybe more casual star wars fan even though i i enjoy the universe and you know i've seen the different iterations of it um but i like what this does, instead of just being this kind of like monolithic character, oh, isn't he a? Ba- he's like supposed to be a badass. Like, oh, mm-hmm. he's a badass bounty hunter. Look how cool he looks. He has this cool spaceship. This humanizes him, and I like that a lot more. Like he's like struggling, and he's in pain, and t- like it, it. And that's kind of similar to the Mandalorian. We see the Mandalorian level up. You know, that was kind of a yeah. fun thing about yeah. that show. Like he's struggling, but he's getting better. And maybe we won't see exactly that same journey with Boba Fett. But I like that we're seeing the man behind the mask and how it's not. He's not just this perfect badass bounty hunter. So anyway, uh, go ahead. Yeah, 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 totally. And 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 that goes. So that goes to my nitpicks, though. I, I which are kind of related. I have two nitpicks that. That are the only problems I had with the show. I, I really enjoyed it. Really, really, I love Star Wars shows. I'm I'm glad to see them. I'm glad to see them in high quality. Um, I really, really like this first episode, except for these two nitpicks. One <laughs> is, like you said, they want us to like Boba Fett, and so as part of that, they're sanitizing him a lot. Like it was already kind of fudge. Where I love how, like in the Mandalorian, where he comes out and you're in, you know, he's hunting down the Mandalorian. You're like, oh, like it's Boba Fett. He's gonna he's gonna wreck him. <laughs> And then, like, he because of honor or something. I, how did it work out? Like, he he gets promised oh. his, his armor back, and because of honor, oh, that's right. Yeah, Boba Fett, and then an assassin. You know, the Fennec. Um, they just agree to help the Mandalorian on like some noble quest, and you're like, oh, okay, whatever show. Like, we'll go with this because like. <laughs> This is how, like, you know, RPGs work. <laughs> you just, you, you got to get the badass characters to justify helping the hero somehow. Yeah, um, why is this character in my party? Like, they seem like they're <laughs> they're too badass for my group. Why why would they be along coming along? Right. <laughs> and, and here, like, it's clear they're gonna sanitize him even more. Like, where he's like, oh, I don't torture, or oh, I don't do that, and I'm not gonna hurt them. He he spares the guy who comes and deliver, doesn't pay him tribute. And again, like it makes sense if you want us to like Boba Fett, and 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 that could be a compelling story. Like I, I actually think that's a. I think, I think villains who are not just bloodthirsty psychos are far more interesting than ones who are. So, so I could see that. Um, but it doesn't fit the world he's in, as Fennec keeps reminding him. Yeah. And even that would be fine. Like he's trying something new. Let's see how it works. But here was my biggest problem with the first episode, and this is totally nitpicky. But this is how I think of it, is he is supposed to be this big crime kingpin now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But the show, I mean, he's replaced Jabba. 
And they sh- they started off showing these people paying him tribute. And it's like, okay, he's, I mean, Jabba was like an intergalactic criminal, right? Like not, he wasn't like some local no-name thug. He was an intergalactic yeah. criminal that Boba Fett has now replaced. And yet the show never, ever conveys that Boba Fett carries anything close to resembling the level of menace or power that that position would require, that that people would actually come and pay him tribute. And it kind of goes there with the mayor's rep who's like, oh, you got to pay us tribute. You're like nobody. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the thing is, he is nobody. It's just him and Fennec on that throne. Like the show could have, I, I wish it had just spent the budget to have a few more actors and guards. He got his pig guards. And He's that was two pig guards. <laughs> and see, that was the scene that goes to my first nitpick. They did that scene to again make us more sympathetic towards him and be like, "Look, he's honorable, he's cool." But it goes to my second nitpick. It undermines his position. The fact that like that's literally his army. Like, imagine if you're watching a Godfather movie and like you know Corleone, like he's just like he's just he has no one, and then he gets like yeah. two dudes and they like take over New York City. It's like no, <laughs> like you, you got to have your whole like. You got to have a gang, you know, or a mafia. <laughs> you can't just. So I thought that was my biggest problem was how the show did not at all convey the anything necessary to convince me that he, in fact, is this um, this daimyo, which. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I, that was my I that was my one nitpick. Apart from that, I really like the show. I, I I agree, but I so I'm hoping I'm hoping that this will be the case. I think the show knows that and is in on that and is setting Boba Fett up kind of for failure or for at least by the end of the show, he realizes this is not who I am. Like I'm not cut out to be a crime Lord. Mm. So that's kind of how I was viewing it. It's like, yeah, he isn't uh Jabba. He doesn't have the resources of Jabba and that, you know, they do have the mayor's attendant or whatever like ah we're not paying you tribute and then i don't know what tribute's supposed to be but some of the even some of the other tributes seem kind of lame like here's a a fur coat or something like i don't know what you're supposed to be getting but it's like nothing would seem that overwhelming uh, so maybe nobody takes else takes them seriously but then there's like a team of assassins trying to take them out it seems totally conspicuous that he is essentially alone in this palace and i have to assume that that is intentional, or at least they know that that looks ridiculous, that he's supposed to be mm-hmm. Jabba and he has nobody except... You know, granted, he's supposed to be badass. Fennec is badass. So uh, then you got the two uh, Gamorians, is that how you say it? The pig mm-hmm. guys? And, you know, th- we see that they're badass. So, you know, they there's enough there that they're going to be able to defend themselves. But... Yeah, I agree. It's not believable if if what we're supposed to take from this is like he has stepped in for Jabba and people are just need to deal with that because there's a new crime lord in town. I, I I just think that's going to be what the show uh, part of what the show's about is that it's not he isn't Jabba and it's a lot of work to make a crime syndicate run. And I think by the end of it, he's going to like be like this. I can't do this or like, or I don't want to do this because I don't want to torture. I don't want to do these things that you have to do in order to run a crime syndicate. Now that gets to your other point, excuse me, is, is the job of that or the, the Boba that we know from the little that we know from the movies and stuff. 
who's just like this cold-hearted bounty hunter is that who this character is like if i do agree with that point like they're totally rehabilitating boba fett um but in their defense there is a lot of like empty space there because i think whoever (laughs) boba fett is to you is what you've imbued boba fett with so Uh there is a lot of room there to kind of tell a story so i you know it's funny that you mentioned nitpicks because you know we do do that a lot you know i think a lot of that came down to uh we used to talk about discovery all the time and even though we love star trek and we we thought that discovery did you know a a lot of things right there's a lot of things we didn't like so it's kind of that struggle of just things that as star trek fans things that would bother us by the show and we did it with mandalorian we did it with other things too i guess i just wasn't in the nitpick frame of mind because i didn't really nitpick this this one i just kind of was and it's kind of short uh same way that mandalorian was it was like if you take out the credits, I think it was like 34 minutes or something like that. So it kind of breezes along. It doesn't stay in any scene too long. I really like the the structure of the flashbacks. And I, re- mm-hmm. I kind of hope that that's what the whole show is and not just the first episode. I hope we keep getting past with present and how did Boba Fett get to where he is now. I hope we see... Uh, flashbacks to him meeting Fennec, you know, and like how do they kind of uh, establish themselves? And I, I like the Tuscan Raider stuff. That's they've always seemed fascinating. Um, they're kind of like boogeymen of the desert in the Star Wars trilo- the original trilogy, and this is kind of fleshing them out. You know, that happened a little bit, I think, in the Mandalorian and probably other uh, Star Wars, you know, media that I haven't uh, digested, but. Um, I like that they're kind of because it's Tatooine again, but yeah, they're still yeah. finding things, new things to do. Like, and then there's apparently Tatooine has centaur lizard men just below the sand, surface of the sand. Like, uh, okay, sure, why not? It's like, <laughs> and then they have like these little gourds filled with water, not that far under the surface. Like, what are these things? It doesn't seem that bad to be in the desert if like an inch under the surface you can find multiple water gourds. Like, and maybe that's a Star Wars thing, but it's like, that seems a little too easy to, to it's quite, find. It's quite, a, it's quite a generous desert that gives you the water right underneath the surface. Yeah. Like so I guess that's a nitpick. I was just like, come on. Like, the, the water, is, that's a little too easy to find. But uh, yeah, I just kind of got swept along the story. And I think because it's going, it's telling both the past and the present that it's not overstaying its welcome in any scene. So it just kind of moves along. And I think it's going to be kind of like mandalorian it's like if it ain't break don't fix it like mm-hmm. just move although man we'll it'll be interesting because we so one of our nitpicks i guess you could say with mandalorian is sometimes it would have standalone episodes that weren't as good as others and it's just kind of like his adventure of the week and it didn't seem attached to the rest of the story and then grogu became a big thing and then like i feel like they had to kind of lean into that a little bit so I'm hoping it keeps that pace up and it's just like we're here to have a good time in this universe. We're not going to take anything too seriously. I mean, it's not like it's a comedy or anything, but it's just, you know, it's just telling this story and it's not trying to like do too much, I guess. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so from that point, um, 
I, I liked it quite a bit. I'm curious to see where it goes. Uh, it does feel when you're done with it and it's only been 35 minutes, you're like, whoa, that it feels short, but that's not leave them wanting more. That's maybe not mm-hmm. necessarily a bad thing. So I would give this, gosh, it's hard to do just one episode. I know you're going to give it more beige because you, I, I, I might regret this. I'm going to give it one beige because I had no nitpicks. And I just enjoyed it, and I just I I would kind of just watched it because I knew we were going to talk about it. I wasn't really had this show built up for me or anything. I was just like, well, I got to watch it. We watched The Mandalorian. We're going to talk about it on the podcast. I had no like expectations going in, and I guess you could nitpick that maybe it's too much like The Mandalorian. But hey, people like The Mandalorian, so give the people what they want. So. Yeah, uh, you think I would be harsher like I was on the other two, but no, it, despite my nitpicks on this episode, I it is the first episode, so I, I feel like my nitpicks can be addressed, so they didn't really ruin my enjoyment, so it's also one beige for me. It was good. It was All right. more All right. more quality Star Wars stories and just fun and interesting, so keep it up, All show. Right. All right, so we'll we'll keep watching that and discussing that going forward, and then I feel like we need something to kind of bolster it so do you want to start uh watching witcher the second season and then we can oh yeah yeah that. let me let me see I'll, I'll look into it and see which which show makes good sense for us okay so we'll 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 talk about other things along with boba fett um as we watch that going forward um i th- i think witcher the se- second season would be a good fit because we both watched the first season, but we didn't really talk about it much on our podcast. So, and that's all on Netflix, and it's all available now. But there's, we'll see what else is out there. You can always contact us. I think there's some sort of contact mechanism, or you could do. A, <laughs> I don't know if it's a voice. I think there's a voicemail on the Anchor FM site, or there's an email probably somewhere that I set up at some point. So. If our one listener has suggestions for of what they want to uh, hear us talk about or what we should be watching, um, oh, uh, you know what I do want to watch. Uh, this is real time, folks. Us coming up with the <laughs> future episodes of the show uh, is that animated arcane. I think it's called Arcane on uh, Netflix. Is it supposed to be pretty good? I think it's like uh, it's based on a video game that I've never played, like League of Legends. League of I Legends, think. yeah. And apparently that show, it apparently has a cool animation style. Uh, Haley Steinfeld is uh, is one of the voices. She's everywhere now because she's also uh, Kate uh, on Hawkeye and is also, um, I mean, among other things, I'm sure, but she's also Gwen Stacy on Into the Spider-Verse. So, and apparently, like I said, the animation's good and like it has an interesting story that you don't need to have played the games to care about so that could be another one that's on netflix too so anyway stay tuned we'll be talking about other nerd stuff uh thanks for tuning in and as always thanks for listening of all the starships in all the galaxies in all the universes i had to choose this one